Well, my introduction tonight may be the shortest it's ever been. Uh, as a matter of fact, it may be the shortest introduction in history because I just have two questions. The first question is this, what is your biggest need right now? And the second question is, what would it take for you to be completely satisfied? That's it. That's the introduction. Our outline is just as brief. Two points. The story described and the story applied. And as is our custom, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, by your spirit, would you grant power to the preaching of your word? Grant us the ability to appraise and apprehend the truth that is within it. Awaken our attention and open our sorrows and convict us and challenge us. And then please refresh us, encourage us, and comfort us as we see Jesus and hear his gospel. As always, I am weak and needy, unfit for this task. So would you grant me support and strength and would you fill me with your spirit that I might be a pure channel of your grace. I pray that I would communicate with clarity and fluency and fervency and grace for the sake of Christ and his church. Amen. Let's begin quickly with the description of the story, and to do that accurately, to do really that accurately at any time, we need to describe it, as we've said on many occasions, within its context. It has to be done within context, and the context of this story doesn't begin in verses 1 to 9 of chapter 9, it doesn't even begin in Luke chapter 1. The context of this story actually begins in the book of Genesis. It begins on the seventh day of creation, that day of Sabbath rest that was the consummation and goal of creation. It begins on that day when God's people were dwelling with Him and He was among them and they were enjoying together that Sabbath rest that He desired. And and a part of that dwelling with one another included eating and drinking together. They were eating and drinking uh, the banquet that God had laid out before them of every tree but one in the garden. And unfortunately, Adam and Eve decided that they would rather eat the forbidden fruit at at the small table that had been set for them by Satan, rather than the lavish banquet at the lavish banquet table that the Lord had prepared for them. And from that time forward, the story of redemption has been an unfolding story. It's an unfolding story of of God's reestablishing that Sabbath rest, of, of God restoring the fellowship between His people and Himself that was lost, and a reconciling so that he and his people would dwell together, he in their midst, they enjoying that fellowship and that banquet, eating and drinking with one another. 
And, and that's, that's why in our study of Leviticus, if you remember back to 2019, you'll remember that God included a peace offering in the sacrificial system. And it was that peace offering that people were able, able to come and to celebrate their peace with God. And it was the only offering within the system that was actually allowed to be eaten by the people. Part of the meat and part of the cereal was to be offered in the sacrifice, but the remaining amount was able to be eaten by the one who brought it. And not only them, but anybody else in the vicinity of the tabernacle could come and join in. They could eat together because being at peace with God was something to celebrate. And they could do so. You'll probably also remember in that study that we saw that he placed, God placed the bread of the presence on, on the table there within the tabernacle reminding the people on a perpetual basis that he would always provide. And then he provided that that, that uh, rhythm of feast and, and Sabbath rest through those five feasts that were a part of the calendar for his people. And then we see all of this really become more pronounced, his provision become more pr pronounced as the people journeyed toward the, toward the promised land and the Lord provided manna from heaven and he brought water, brought forth water from the rock that they could drink. He was preparing a table before them as he was leading them into that land that was a, a major banquet, right? It was a land flowing with milk and honey. Now there's a lot more to the past that preceded this miracle. We could talk about Elijah and his encounter with the widow who only had a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, yet all of her needs were met by him. Or we could talk about Elisha who fed 100 men, but you get the picture of where we're going and we, we see this vivid, historical, this historical vivid backdrop behind this story, what's happening in the present in chapter 9 of Luke. And it tells us this story is not isolated. It's not a random event. It's not just something that happened. There's purpose behind it. There's, there's a goal in mind. There's something, there's a connection to what's come before. And as we'll see in a minute, there's something to which it points in the future. Presently, in the, the story itself begins with the disciples returning from their short-term mission trip. And when they come back, you, you see that they're telling Jesus about all that they had done while they were away. And because of all that had gone on, Jesus decides to take them aside and to pull back and to pull them away and, and to retreat to a place where they could rest and they could eat. But the crowd figures out where they're going. And so some follow along, but others, uh, we learn from Mark, that others go ahead and, and beat them to their destination. But rather than 
retreat totally, and rather than ignore the crowds, notice what Jesus does. Luke says Jesus welcomed them. He, he brought them near. And in doing so, he, he begins to speak to them of the kingdom of God, and he cured those who had need of healing. In other words, he didn't demand, in words we would use today, he didn't demand any me time. He simply continued in his ministry of proclamation and in his ministry of presence. And he did it all day long. Despite how he was feeling emotionally and physically, and despite how the disciples may have been feeling, he continued in that ministry. And then finally, as the day came to a close, his disciples have to say, Jesus, let, let's pull back and let's send them on their way so that they can go find a place to stay and find something to eat. Because apparently there wasn't an abundance of things in the midst of where they were. Luke describes it as a isolated or an isolated and lonely place. It, it's really this desert wilderness. So there's not enough for everyone who's there. But Jesus has other ideas. He has a different plan. And he looks at them and he says, no, you go find them something to eat. You go feed them. And, and their response is telling. They saw the magnitude of the task. Right? Luke says there were 5,000 men. There were probably far more than 5,000 due to the presence of women and children. And rather than focus on what or better who they had at their disposal, they chose to focus on what they didn't have at their disposal. They focused on their lack of food. They focused on their lack of money rather than on the one who we learned last week had all power and all, or who we've, been, who we've been learning since Luke chapter 4 and even before, who had all power and all authority over both the physical and spiritual realms and, and the one whose resources were limitless. He had everything at his disposal. Therefore, they had everything at their disposal, but they were looking in the wrong place. They were focused on themselves and their own ability and their own inability rather than on the Lord Jesus. And when we keep the story, again, when we keep the story in context, it, it makes sense. Remember verse 9 that we left off uh, last week was our last verse of our text, and you'll remember that He had sent them out. And we don't know how long they were out, but it's safe to assume that it was more than just for a few days. And while we do know what they were doing, generally speaking, right, they were preaching, ministry of proclamation, ministry of presence, so they're healing others. We're not given specifics in regards to numbers, we're not given uh, specifics in regards to encounters or situations or the experiences that they had, and therefore we really don't know how chaotic it might have been, and I choose that word purposefully. Because Mark says, when you look at uh, what he says about this story, he says that those who were following were coming and going to the point 
that there wasn't time for the apostles to rest or to eat. Our doctors and nurses understand that, right? Busy, 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 and unable to, to find the time that they need. So that tells me that there were large numbers of people. But not only were there large numbers of people, there were large numbers of people with a lot of needs, and things were happening quickly. The minute they would heal one, another would show up. One would leave, another would come. They're coming from all directions. Right? The story of the woman in need that comes from behind. They're coming from everywhere. So I believe it, it would have been not only possible, but natural for some things to begin to change. I believe it would have been natural for them to begin to forget and over time forget that they themselves, they would, they would forget that they had been equipped for ministry by the Lord. They would forget in that process that He had blessed them with the power and authority that they had. And they would have, begin, they, they would have been, begin, uh, begun turning in on themselves and thinking about themselves and how they were responsible for everything that was happening. They would have been, it's very possible that in their minds it was no longer the Lord drawing the crowds, but it was them drawing the crowds. It was no longer it was no longer then, or the, the Lord that it was no longer the Lord's power and it was no longer the Lord Lord's authority but it was their own power and their own authority. It was exactly the kind of situation that would have been very easy to get caught up in. Getting caught up in the numbers, getting caught up in everything that was going on and and to begin to think that it was all about them. And so when they arrived back from the trip, Luke says the apostles told them all that they had done. I can hear them. Jesus, look what, look what we did. You wouldn't believe the number of people we healed. You wouldn't believe the number of that repented because of the things that we said. You wouldn't believe the number of people we touched and whose lives were changed because of all the things that we were doing. So Jesus took the opportunity to remind them of who they were and who he was. He takes the opportunity to remind them of their role and his role, right? His ministry of proclamation, his ministry of presence, his ministry that he had called them out and equipped them and sent them to fulfill, not their own. And it's very possible that Jesus was actually saying, You've just told me all that you've done, so why don't you feed them? And of course, left to themselves, they couldn't. 
And that was the point. So he gives them instructions. He tells them to divide them up into groups of 50. Mark points out that he had them sit down. It's interesting. He had them sit down on the green grass. So we have Luke describing this desolate desert place, and yet Mark says in the midst of that desolate place where there wasn't much around, there was in the midst green grass. And it's that, it's in that place where they were brought to sit. And then he takes an insignificant amount of food, five barley loaves, which would have been a poor man's bread, and he takes two fish, all of which John said Andrew found in this little boy's picnic basket. Graham, it would be like if you had a picnic basket with loaves of fish and uh, with loaves and fish in it, and, and, and uh, Mr. Rains came up to you and just and, and pilfered your basket, took, took the stuff out of your basket. But Jesus takes that insignificant amount, and he raises it to heaven, and he asks the Lord to bless it, and then he begins to break it and divide it, and he keeps breaking and dividing, and breaking and dividing because it's multiplying in his hands. And, he, and he's handing it to the apostles, and the apostles go out, and he continues to break and divide, and he hands it to the apostles until they fed all 5,000 plus to the point of satisfaction, fullness, completeness. And there's even enough left for every apostle to have a basket full. And it's interesting, when it's all said and done, the disciples end up feeding everyone as Jesus asked them to do, but only through His enabling, only through His power, only through His provision. And that's going to be a common refrain for the next 10 chapters. He's going to do that repetitively. In the end, they had nothing of their own to give. They were only able to give to others out of that which he had given to them. But this isn't just connected to the past. And this isn't, as I said, an end in and of itself in the present. John calls this a sign there's a future facet to this. It, it points ahead. It's pointing to something bigger. It's, it, as a physical event, was pointing to something spiritual. And what was spiritual was going to far be far, it was going to far outdo. There was going to be, it was, the, the physical was going to pale in comparison to the spiritual. Listen to Isaiah 25. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, 
a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away every tear from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. The message Jesus and His apostles had been proclaiming was the good news of the coming kingdom. If you remember back in the first part of the book, we saw John coming, preceding Jesus, pointing to Jesus, but he didn't come eating and drinking. He came, he came fasting because his message was one of judgment. But Jesus came eating and drinking, not fasting. Why? Because his message was a message of restoration and forgiveness. And this miracle This sign, this event in verses 10 to 17 was a sign. It was a full color, living picture of the fact that the messianic banquet that was prophesied in chapter 25 was being fulfilled by Jesus through his life and ministry. And and Luke makes this clear in a couple of ways, doing a couple of things that are worth pointing out. And the first involves the language he chose to use. Look at verse 16. He says, And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the crowd. And that probably sounds somewhat familiar. The verbs do anyway. And it should, because listen to verse 19 of chapter 22 when he describes the Last Supper. Luke says, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Right? They're, they're not, in this feast, they're not celebrating right, the, the Passover, but But Luke carefully and purposefully makes the connection. This is something he intends to do between this event and the Last Supper in order to point forward to the fact that Jesus was the one who is the host of the Messianic and will be the host of the Messianic banquet and He has provided for our every need through His death on the cross. It is by His sacrificial atoning work on the cross that those who look to Him in faith will be welcomed, brought near to the great feast. And the second thing Luke does is he purposefully places this event prior to the pericope that's ahead. And if you look ahead... Beyond verse 17, you'll see that he puts this event right before Jesus asks the apostles who he is, who they say he is, right? And Luke says 
his words are, they answer the Christ of God. But if you remember in Matthew, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Luke's point seems to be here that it was at this picnic when he's breaking the bread that the, disciple, that the light goes off for the disciples It's in this breaking of the bread that they recognize Jesus. And that has, there's importance for us that we'll see just in a minute when we come to the table. So the question is, the, the second point is, how does this apply? How does this apply to us? What are our takeaways? What do we learn and there's always more than we can list, so I just, uh, there are three things particularly I want to look at, and the first is this. Let's go back to the first question that I asked. What's your greatest need? For some of you, the need is so pressing that you identified it the, the minute I asked, and you've held on to it as I've told the story. For others of you, 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 you struggled a little bit. Um, for some, you struggled because there were so many, you didn't know how you were going <laughs> to pick just one. And quite honestly, there may be some who struggled because you were trying to identify at least one. So let me help. All of us, all of us in this room have a significant spiritual need because we all have significant spiritual issues. Some arrive tonight estranged and alienated from God due to your sin and your status as an enemy of His. And you're in need of forgiveness. You're in need of reconciliation. In other words, you're in need of salvation. Some of you arrive tonight empty and in despair because the idols that you've been chasing after and trusting in have offered nothing but empty promises and short-term gratification, and you're in need, you're in need of redirection and genuine hope. Some of you arrive tonight bruised and battered because your flesh that's bent toward idolatry and self-centeredness and selfishness and rebellion has been warring against the Spirit all week, and you just can't do it anymore and you're in need of grace and forgiveness and restoration and refreshment and healing. And honestly, there are some who have arrived weary and heavy laden because you've, you've picked up, you've picked back up the burden of self-righteousness. You laid it down last week, and at some point you picked it back up this week, and you've been striving once again to earn and merit the favor of God. And you're trying to do it through good deeds, and you're in need of the reminder that your position before God is not gained by yourself or by your own effort. And this story says our hope in each of those cases, regardless of which category, Our hope, your hope, is in Christ alone. 
He is our satisfaction. Because it was His work on the cross through which He paid the debt for sin. It was His life of obedience through which He fulfilled the law's demands. And all of that has been credited to us. For those who look to faith in Christ, it's credited to us. Question 70 of the larger catechism says, Justification is an act of God's free grace unto sinners in which He pardons all their sins, accepts and accounts their persons righteous in His sight, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but only for the perfect obedience and full satisfaction of Christ. By God, imputed to them, and received by faith alone. He is our satisfaction. But many of us also arrive tonight with, with other needs, emotional needs and mental needs and physical needs. Some tonight are, are lonely. Some are struggling in their marriage. Some are in the midst of strained relationships between ex extended family members and friends and co-workers. Some are attempting to uh, cope with extreme amounts of stress and anxiety. Some are, let's be honest, some, someone here may be losing a battle with depression. Some are exacerbated by sickness and chronic pain and debilitating illness and terminal disease. Some are facing economic, economic setbacks and financial dilemmas. Some, some are probably questioning your place in the world. Where do I fit? What am I going to do? What does the future hold? Others are, are doubting the power of prayer and the providence of God and, and His care for you. Some are paralyzed by fear, the fear of failing and the fear of rejection. And, and I could go on and on. But the good news is that whatever your answer is, whatever your answer was to that question, this story tells us that the Lord Jesus is compassionate and merciful and is therefore willing and able to meet whatever need you may have today and every day. It has always been, right, past why connected to the past? It's always been God's desire and plan to dwell with and provide for His people. And Jesus is never too busy. He's never too overburdened, nor is He short on compassion and mercy. He alone is sufficient. He alone can provide the satisfaction that you need and long for, and He does it super abundantly, beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. Whether our needs are big or small, significant or insignificant, it does not matter to Him. He is the one to whom we should look because He alone, out of His abundance, fills our cups to overflow. That's just number one. Number two. The second question. 
what would it take for you to be completely satisfied? If your answer includes anything on the world's menu, please know that the food the world provides will never fully and finally meet your needs or bring the satisfaction you desire. Never. A worldly diet of that which provides position and prestige and, and power and pleasure will always leave us hungry because it never completely satisfies. Seeking satisfaction in people and places and possessions do nothing but leave us malnourished. Because all of those things are empty and void. Only Christ can provide that which is truly and completely and thoroughly, that which completely and truly and thoroughly satisfies the soul. He's our great shepherd. He leads us to those green pastures in the midst of the desolate wilderness. The desolate wilderness in which we live as sheep and as sojourners and exiles. And he asks us to come and to sit in the midst of those green pastures and to rest and to feed upon him because he, as John says in writing this story in chapter 6, and as Jesus said himself, he is the bread of life. And finally, the Lord has been hospitable to us, has he not? The Lord has been hospitable, hospitable to us. We were strangers, we were outcasts, we were weak lowly, poor, and wretched, and we've been made guests at the banquet. Our invitation has been earned by the Lord Jesus. It wasn't, it wasn't an invitation that we deserved. We didn't deserve to attend this banquet. So who are we not to be hospitable to others? We have a responsibility. Our, our default should be compassion, not contempt. But we must acknowledge always that we are unable in and of ourselves to adequately meet the needs of those around us. We are dependent upon the Lord to fulfill the ministry of proclamation and presence that He has called us to, equipped us for, and sent us to go fulfill. It's His ministry of which He has made us a part we can't do anything apart from Him. We need His power. We need His authority. We don't go in our name. We go in His. I love this quote from Matthew Henry. Ministers can never fill people's hearts unless Christ first fills their hands. It is out 
of the superabundant overflow of that which we receive from Him that we serve and minister to one another and to our neighbor. And He has given us Himself. He's given us His gospel. And let's be honest, He has given us the resources, right, far beyond what we need for ourselves, we have at our disposal. May we be faithful to use that which we've been given. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, by your Spirit and grace, would you enable us to receive the Word with faith and love? Lay it up on our hearts and practice it in our lives. Water the hearts of those who have heard your word preached and may the seeds sown in weakness be raised in power and show forth fruit of righteousness. For your glory, for our good, and for the sake of Christ and his church. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, lift up your hearts. I mentioned a moment ago that Luke uh, makes the connection uh, between this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 with um, the, the Last Supper and places it where he does, uh, what seems to be uh, to suggest that it's at that feeding when the, the breaking of the bread is taking place that the, the apostles recognize him as the Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, and it makes sense because it is here at the Lord's table as the bread is broken that you and I recognize him for who he is as well. It's here at the table where we see that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is, he is our Messiah. He is our Lord and our King. He is our Savior who gave Himself for us. He gave His life for ours. His body was given for us. His blood was shed for us. And through this sacrament, we not only recognize Him for who He is, but we receive Him. Nothing magical takes place here. The bread remains bread and the wine remains wine. But it is here that he who offered himself for us now offers himself to us. And as we come, we come by faith and we feed upon him because he is our real spiritual food and our real spiritual drink. And when we come and when we eat, we are fully satisfied. We don't go without. We find He not only satisfies us, but He nourishes us. He meets our every need. And not only do we receive Him and are we nourished, but this meal also points ahead to that day when we will eat and drink with Him, not only physically, but eternally. So if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the invitation is to come and to taste and see that the Lord is good. If you're resting in Him alone for your salvation, if you're hiding in His righteousness and His righteousness alone, then come. If you're not trusting in the Lord Jesus, if you are still 
in your sin, you have not received the forgiveness that you so desperately need. If you're looking to anything or anyone other than Christ for your salvation, the invitation is not to come to this table, but to come to the cross of Christ, where you will find the forgiveness of your sins. Come to Him. He will not cast you out. You will not be disappointed. Today is the day of salvation. So in just a moment when we come, the elders are, are going to come forward and we're going to bring the, the trays to you. If you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we would ask that you just simply say, no thank you. But again, if you are a believer in Christ, extend the hand, take the bread and the cup, and we will eat and drink together momentarily. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.